0: Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource, that it may be a blessing. All right, we'll grab a Bible and turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in case you use our Pew Bibles, you can find that on page 986. And while you're finding your place, most of you are probably already aware of my love for American history and for American military history uh, in particular, and right now Rebecca and I are making our yearly trip through the Band of Brothers docuseries, uh, which we love, Uh, But this time we're watching the episodes with the soldiers' interviews overlaid on it. And so as you're watching the show, you get to hear from their perspective what was happening and what was going on uh, at the time. And one thing that Captain Winters pointed out in one of the episodes this week is that you can have all the training in the world, but you really don't know what you have until you're under pressure. You can be trained and trained and trained, but you really don't know what kind of leaders you have until they're having to make critical decisions with bullets flying past them. You don't know what kind of men you have until they're having to execute the battle plan in the midst of total chaos. And that's true. Pressure brings out what's really there, whether on the battlefield or in our day-to-day lives. And when Paul left Thessalonica... He really didn't know what he had in this new church that had gathered together. But this morning, we're going to see what he did to find out what he had as the Thessalonians uh, faced the pressure of persecution. And so we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 17. Paul writes, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And so, after a a lengthy opening section of the letter that was dedicated, uh, to Paul expressing his gratitude, his thanksgiving to God for the work that he had done in the Thessalonians and for their response to the gospel. Starting in verse 17, Paul moves to explaining how he and his team processed the reality of having to leave Thessalonica, but uh, because of persecution before they were ready to leave. And so, in case you haven't been with us during this series, Paul and Silas and Timothy had a very brief ministry in Thessalonica where they established this church, and then very quickly people began to oppose their ministry. Over time, a riot developed, which eventually forced the church to send the team out of the city for their own safety. And you'll notice that Paul describes this as having been torn away from the Thessalonians, and that term is particularly strong emotionally, Uh, It describes the pain that characterizes a parent or a child who's been separated from one another, whether because of death or or other unforeseen circumstances. And so far from being indifferent or, or just moving on to his next stop, it hurt Paul deeply to have to leave these new believers in this way. And really, this whole first paragraph is dedicated to communicating Paul's desire to be with the Thessalonians, and he emphasizes it in three ways. First, he describes the separation as being in person, not in heart. In other words, Paul and the team may not have been with the Thessalonians physically, but they hadn't left their hearts. All right, Paul's already expressed, he's assured them that they pray for them constantly, and so while they may be out of sight, they are never out of mind. Secondly, we see that he stacks up phrases that indicate how much he wanted and even tried to get back to Thessalonica. He says, We endeavored the more eagerly, with great desire. He says, We wanted to come to you again and again. And as you read it, you might wonder how many different ways is he going to say it? But that's really the point. The repetition in Paul's words serves to underscore the sincerity of his heart. He wants to be with the Thessalonians. Then finally in verses 19 and 20, Paul explains why he so desired to get back into the city. He writes, "...for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy." And what he means is that he sees the Thessalonians as his prize. They are his prize. And so uh, an athlete may compete to win a, a trophy or a championship ring. Or a businessman may work really, really hard in order to make a lot of money. Uh, a farmer labors to get a harvest. But the point of Paul's ministry was to make disciples of Jesus. And these Thessalonians were the fulfillment of that goal, All right, They are the prize that he has worked so hard for, All right? And so uh, Paul loves these people. They are the fruit of his life's work. He expresses a pride in them, much like a parent is proud of, of their children. And so he, he would do anything to, to have gotten back to Thessalonica, and, that, and that's the bottom line here, is that if there was any way he could have gotten back to them, he would have done it. The problem, as we see at the end of verse 18, is that Satan hindered him. Right now, uh, the, the word hindered is actually an ancient military strategy of digging holes in a road and destroying bridges in order to keep an opposing army from being able to advance. And so Paul sees Satan as, as hindering him from returning to Thessalonica. This is warfare strategy. Now, he doesn't explain exactly how Satan hindered him from going, but, but he's clear that this is a result of spiritual warfare apart from which he would have already been back in Thessalonica. Now, two things real quick before we move on. First of all, I find it strangely comforting to remember that Paul's plans didn't always work out the way he wanted them to. All right, Paul wanted to go back to Thessalonica, but he was not able to do that. And we have to remember that the reason Paul got to Thessalonica in the first place is because his previous plans to go into Asia and Bithynia didn't work out either. We read about that in Acts chapter 16. Right, there were things that Paul wanted to do in ministry that he wasn't able to do. And again, I appreciate knowing that because it makes me feel somewhat normal. Uh, I thought this week back to, to almost a year ago now when coronavirus first caused us to lock everything down. And as a staff, we, we entered into this series of planning things that didn't work out. All right? and so first of all, it was like, I think our first day back is going to be Easter, and so we need to make this big Easter celebration that, that you know, caps off this season that we've been in. Nope. And then it was, well, maybe we can still have vacation Bible school this year. Nope. And it was, well, we really do at least need to plan to try to have this other activity. Nope. And it was just one thing after another after another. We kept trying to do things that we ended up not being able to do. And that's frustrating. Uh, We want to do things, and this is true in normal life from time to time. We want to do things in ministry that for one reason or another don't work out. And that's frustrating. But we have to trust that even through closed doors, the Lord is positioning us right where he wants us to be in every season of life. If you remember back to our our study through Acts and even what Paul uh, alludes to here, while Paul was not able to go back to Thessalonica, he was able to introduce the gospel for the first time in Berea and then later on in Athens. And so we can't forget That In the midst of failed plans, we still have opportunities in every situation. We can't forget to be on the lookout for those. And secondly, I think it's important for us to see that, that Paul recognizes that Satan was behind the hindrances he encountered. I think that far too often we forget the fact that we are engaged in spiritual warfare in this life. We have a real enemy who hates us, and who will do anything he can to hinder us in our spiritual lives. You see, we, just, just by default, we operate on a physical level. All right, we get frustrated with people, and we get frustrated with circumstances, and we get frustrated with the things that are going on around us. But Paul was always aware of the invisible spiritual realities that influence the things that we experience in our lives. We're reminded that Satan and his demons oppose God's kingdom, which means that they oppose us as God's people. And Paul reminds the Ephesians that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not ultimately a physical thing. He says that it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In light of that, we would do well to remember that it's much more important for us to be informed by God's Word than by mainstream media. media. It's much more effective and impactful for us to pray about what's going on, rather than simply posting about it on social media. We have to remember that the real issues that we are facing in life go deeper than the physical level. But having having said that, the main point in this section is that Paul's genuine bond with the Thessalonians made it incredibly difficult for him to be driven away from them under the circumstances. As we move into chapter 3, we're going to see that Paul's love eventually found a way for him to provide ongoing spiritual care for his new church. And so we'll pick up again as we start into uh, chapter 3. He writes, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer... For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. And so here in the second section, Paul explains that eventually the suspense of not knowing what was going on with the Thessalonians, it got to the point where he couldn't take it anymore. And we see that he was worried about what was going on while he was away and what was going on in his absence. And so ultimately, the team decided to send Timothy back to Thessalonica. Obviously, this would make ministry more difficult for Paul and Silas, but they determined that it was a sacrifice that was worth making. Now, many people have wondered why Timothy was able to go when Paul wasn't. And without knowing the exact nature of the spiritual uh, resistance that they were experiencing from Satan... At least from a human perspective, this makes sense, because Timothy uh, was probably able to stay under the radar. We keep in mind that Silas was, was Paul's primary ministry partner at this time. And so while Silas and Paul were engaging in evangelism and in public debates with the Jewish leaders and with Gentile philosophers, Timothy was probably on the sidelines learning from them. And his job was probably to take care of travel and lodging arrangements and to run errands for them as needed, right? And so uh, you can think of it like this. If if Governor Abbott had decided to come to church here this morning, we would all recognize who he is. But if his personal assistant walked in the building, I would have no idea who that was. Now, I very well may have seen that person at some point on TV or in a picture, but I'm not going to connect the dots. I'm not going to know who this is. And so much in the same way, it's very likely that the persecutors in Thessalonica may not have even realized that Timothy was with Paul and Silas. And so Timothy had an opportunity to get back to the Thessalonians without raising as much suspicion. Now, we see that Timothy's job served two purposes. One was for Paul personally, and then the other was for the Thessalonians. So first of all, we see in verse 5, That Timothy's job was to bring Paul a report about how the Thessalonians were doing. He says, I sent to hear about your faith, for fear that the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Now, the tempter is once again referring to Satan, who, as we've already established, constantly opposes God and his kingdom. And Paul was worried that without him being there, to help these new believers navigate uh, the, the pressures and the persecutions that they were experiencing, Satan would take advantage of the opportunity and influence the Thessalonians away from the faith, which would have meant that all Paul's work and suffering would have ended up being for nothing. It would have been in vain. Now, Paul doesn't give a specific concern that he had, but that may simply be because there were so many possibilities of what could be happening Might the Thessalonians have have given in under the pressure of persecution? Is it possible that they became bitter or disillusioned because God didn't protect them from danger, and so they walked away from the faith voluntarily? Uh, Are they now vulnerable without Paul and the team around to, to false teachers who would lead them away from Jesus? There were all kinds of things that could have been happening, and not knowing was killing Paul. And so eventually he sent Timothy, whose first purpose was simply to bring him back an update to put his mind at ease. And then, secondly, and assuming that the Thessalonians were hanging on, we see at the end of verse 2 that Timothy's job was to establish and exhort them in their faith. Now, the word establish is talking about strengthening or reinforcing something. And so you might think of of establishing or, or reinforcing a building structure to where it can hold up against a storm. And to exhort is a word that we commonly see in the New Testament for, for encouraging or, or pushing people to keep going. So Timothy went back to continue working with the Thessalonians on Paul's behalf. And in this way, his instructions were probably very similar to the ones that Paul gave to Titus. And so if you remember back last year to our series through Titus, we saw that, uh, that under very different circumstances, Paul left the island of Crete uh, before he had had the opportunity to establish the churches that he had worked with there. And so he left Titus in place to, quote, uh, put in place what remained, right? And so we saw that uh, that, that, uh, included having a, a, an essential teachings of the faith to make sure that they understood the basics, that, that the uh, churches of Crete had a process for discipleship, and also that they had godly leadership to lead them forward uh, with qualified pastors or elders. Right, and this was until the churches were stable and ready to operate on their own. Now, based on what we know, this would have been Timothy's first major assignment in ministry. He's been with Paul and Silas for some time, and now this is an opportunity for him to get some leadership experience of his own. And then specifically, we see in verse 3 that Timothy's work of establishing and exhorting was for the purpose that no one be moved by these afflictions. In other words, Timothy was there to make sure that the persecution that they had faced, the persecution that they were going to continue facing... Uh, didn't intimidate them away from the faith. Now, on the one hand, in the second half uh, of verse 3, Paul reminds them that they already know about this because he consistently warned them beforehand about the reality of persecution. And he, he told them that enduring persecution is a part of following Jesus. And he even says that we are destined for this. Right, but, but knowing something is one thing, experiencing it is, an, is another thing entirely. And so even though Paul had been clear about the cost of discipleship, he was still concerned that when push came to shove, the Thessalonians might tap out under pressure. And so Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to confirm that the church was hanging on in the midst of opposition, and then assuming they were to reinforce their faith with the, the teaching and structure that they needed to be able to continue persevering. And so in our our passage this morning, Paul explains how his love and concern for the Thessalonians' well-being in the midst of difficulty led him to send Timothy to them uh, without being able to return himself. Paul understood what was at stake under the circumstances. And so he did what he could to reinforce the stability of the church as it endured opposition from the world and from Satan. And As I studied and read this week, I, I couldn't help but wonder what Paul might say to the churches in America today if, if he was around today as we continue to see the social atmosphere changing around us. Now, you should know by now that I'm not a doom and gloom kind of guy. I do the best I can not to be optimistic or pessimistic. Right? I just want to be realistic and call things what they are. All right, so I'm not one of those people who's, who's expecting persecution to break out at any minute now. Right, but I also think that that unless we're an ostrich with its head stuck in the sand, it's almost impossible for us to, to not recognize the trajectory that we're on and to realize that in time, whether it's sooner or later, things are going to come to a head. I'm not sure that we're ready for that. I'm not sure that the church in America as a whole is ready for that. We've been blessed with freedom for so long that we just tend to think that persecution is something that happens out there in, in other places of the world. All right? But, but her persecution is such a consistent theme in the New Testament. And, and Paul, again, even says that we are destined for it here in our passage, that I think it's unrealistic for us to simply assume that the church in the United States will be exempt from persecution indefinitely. And there's, there's no exception clause for America. And we have to remember that there is a foundational spiritual principle at work, which is that Satan and the world are opposed to God's kingdom in every place, and they will work to destroy it. And again, there's, there's no exemption the church in America. This isn't something that we can simply vote ourselves out of. And unless the Lord chooses to send an awakening that changes things very drastically, very quickly, I believe that persecution will catch up to us eventually. And again, I have no idea what that might look like or how long it will take us to get to that point. My main concern in light of our text this morning is that we be ready for whatever happens whenever it happens. So, what should we do? Should we run around in circles, crying and screaming? Should we uh, get on Facebook and and post to everyone who already agrees with us anyway about how terrible the world is? Well, no. Paul writes in this section that no one should be moved by these afflictions. and, And the reality is that God, historically, does some of his best work when his people are facing opposition. If you've had any experience with with the opportunity to to, to hear from them, you'll you'll know that some of the most joyful people in the world are Christians who face persecution, right? And so uh, we we see this. While I'm certainly not looking forward or or trying to get there uh, quickly, uh, the truth is that the global church has been persecuted for 2,000 years, and we're still here. And in fact, the, the church today is bigger than it's ever been before. And so there's no reason for us to panic. No matter what happens, God's got this. He's got this. And so what should we do? What should we change if we're going to be ready to face increasing opposition? Well, in one sense, we shouldn't change anything. I mean, nothing Changes. the mission stays the same, whether we face opposition or not. We're called to make disciples of all nations. But having said that, just as Timothy was sent to Thessalonica to establish and exhort the church there, I think we do need to take advantage of the opportunity that we do have right now to to prepare ourselves for what may come. So among other things, this means that, that if we aren't already, which we should be, but if we're not already, we should be taking our own discipleship very seriously. All right, we need to be serious about church membership and our responsibilities of attending and serving and giving. We need to be consistent in sharing the gospel with the people that God places around us in our lives. We need to be intentional about being in discipling relationships with one another, where we're helping each other to follow Jesus better. We need to be resolved to make God's word the standard for everything that we do and how we do it. And we need to be committed to living our lives in line with the gospel, because this is the thing. If we're not prioritizing these things, if we're not making these things a habit right now while it's easy, then we stand absolutely no chance of doing them if and when things become more difficult. And so how do we prepare ourselves for potential increasing opposition? We take our own discipleship seriously. We do what we really should already be doing in the first place. And so this morning, let's not allow ourselves to be caught off guard. All right, let's, let's recognize what's going on around us this morning. Let's recognize where we are and take whatever steps are needed to prepare ourselves to remain faithful under pressure. Let's pray together.